Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. Chip couldn't be here today, but uh, filling in, I have a good friend, one of my favorite comics, who's finally back in town. You might remember him from the Beach Boys and Charles Manson episode. Uh, say hello to Max Antonucci. What's up, everybody? Happy to be here on one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, last time we were your favorite. Now we've now we're one. Like we've been down. <laughs> well, I, I I started listening to more podcasts. <laughs> He's like, I, I started listening to a second podcast. So yeah. now you're just one. <laughs> you're in my top two. <laughs> Um, we have a guest today that I am really excited about, uh, because he played on one of, uh, my favorite albums ever. Um, but he's done so much more than that. He is, he's a bass player. He's played with Sting with the Black Crows. And I got to ask you about the Robinsons. Uh, Elvis Costello and um, very cool. You played bass on David Bowie's Black Star, his his final album. Say hello to Tim LaFave. Thanks for having me, you guys. Glad glad to be here. Always. Yeah, yeah. This is this is cool. So I want to uh, I want to jump right in. We'll 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 go all over the board, but I want to jump right in to Black Star. Uh, Bowie's final album, his, his first album to ever hit number one. Uh, I think it was released just two days before he died. Um, how, how did you wind up on black star? It's kind of a long convoluted story, but really it's not. I mean, basically, so, uh, Donnie McCaslin, Plays with don't we have this band with Donnie McCaslin? It's me, Mark Juliana on drums, uh, Jason Linder on keyboards, and I play bass and uh, and Donnie. So that was kind of an existing band. And, and basically, Donnie had done a recording, uh, he did a version of Sue in his in a season of crime mm -hmm. with the Maria Schneider big band, yes. Uh, and I think after that, he, he he decided he wanted to do a jazz record or he thought he wanted to do a jazz record with Maria Schneider, but I guess Maria Schneider was doing a record called the Thompson Fields. Um, that so so she didn't have time to to do the record with Bowie so she said she suggested Donnie's band and Donnie's CD to to Bowie and we did we had just done this record called Casting for Gravity so she gave it to Bowie Bowie liked it and then um, you know it was kind of into the idea and then he came and saw us at the 55 bar in new york city we, you know a place where we can all, we can talk about that too because uh, that was like a place where it kind of all happened so Bowie came one night to see us play as that group. And uh, I think that sealed the deal. So, well, or did you grow up? Were you a big Bowie fan? Just the radio stuff, yeah. you know, like Fame and and uh, Let's Dance and so, you know, like I was kind of like a radio hits kid, you know what I mean? So I yeah. didn't delve deep into the catalog, but uh, I remember I did like Earthling though, because Earthling, I was a big drum and bass guy. Yeah, you know, so like Earthling had a bunch of that on there. It was like super electronic and Nine Inch Nailsy and stuff. So I really liked that record. That one I liked without there being really any hits on it. So. Yeah, you know. yeah, it was like that was uh, I'm afraid of Americans, right? Was on there. That yeah, was like the biggest best tune ever. Yes. Yeah, and also it also uh, hold on, let me look up, let me look up some title tracks. Um, I love. Yeah, I was watching. Uh, I was watching that documentary on HBO the last five years, and um, 
I feel like I don't know much about Maria Schneider, but I feel like maybe like, how do you tell David Bowie? Like, I don't have time. (laughs) I'm I'm working on this other album that nobody's ever going to hear. And then, (laughs) you know, I wondered that myself. You know, I don't want, I just like, I mean, you know, to me, like saying no to David Bowie is like, okay. I mean, some people have the wherewithal and the, and the balls to do it. I just, I wouldn't be one of those people. Right. You know, but, but, but she's really committed to her own thing. That's probably she, what she's seen more than anything. So yeah. On the, on the documentary, she seems like, she seems like a fantastic player, but I was like, and, and then I wonder, like you had no idea that Bowie was sick, right? Like no, nobody knew at the time. Right. Uh, yeah. We were told the day we came into the studio. That he, oh, was, okay. that he he had cancer and he came in, you know, like, and, and, you know, like, like we were getting, we had to sign NDAs that this mm-hmm. was, this project basically was not happening, but you know, the added thing was, you know, the, the cancer thing. Cause he came in and he had, you know, like kind of chemo, you know, baby hair, yeah. he had just grown back and like no eyebrows. And, you know, so he looked pretty rough cause he had just come off the chemo session. Cause actually I think what I was told was like, we were supposed to do this like three months earlier, but that's when he got diagnosed. And so, you know, he went into heavy chemo. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and besides that, besides the fact that we signed NDAs, but he also asked us to not say anything like, you know, because, you know, he was just a cool guy asking yeah, people yeah. To, to not to keep a secret. So, which is fine. I mean, that, that's, it, it, you know, like he, he put it in such a way that we're like, yeah, why would you not, why would you want to violate this guy's trust or something like that? You know, yeah. like that early on. So, um, yeah. I mean, but as it turns out, like, you know, like it's, we did one week a month for the first three months. Um, and, uh, and each session he got better and better. And to the point where he got, we went into remission, I believe until oh, wow. December. Yeah. Until December of 20, was it 15 or 16? I can't remember. 2015. Yeah. 15. When the, when the record, yeah, it had been out like about a month, the record. So, well, at least a couple of the tracks had been. So that's when he was in remission. Then December of 2015, I think he got back, you know, it came back and then he was gone a month yeah, later. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty rough. Now, but, did you did you know that he was coming to see you guys? Like, did you have advance notice that he was coming to see you guys at the fifty five bar, or was it something where you get there, you get on stage, and you see him? Uh, I was told after he, I think I think Donnie knew. Uh, Don, actually, he came in with Maria Schneider and, and Tony Visconti, I believe. But um, I didn't know until after the set was over that he had been there. Oh, I'm glad wow. because I, I had a really shitty set. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the 55 bar is like, you know, it's like, it's an institution, but you know, like if you, I was plugging my, like my, my power outlets were falling out of the wall and stuff. It's just like, you know, it, it's, it's pretty sketchy in there. So like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, all my stuff was getting unplugged and I was, I, it was like, I had this wrong cabinet. Cause I was like playing a lot of sub stuff, sub bass stuff. And like, just the cabinet couldn't handle it. So it just sounded like crap. And so like, yeah. I had a really, I had a bad set right in front of him, but I guess it wasn't enough to, to, to dissuade his, his thinking process. Yeah. You know. But that, well, that's, that's probably, the, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was going to say that's probably the kind of thing that Bowie loves. Like he, he seemed like he loved those mistakes and those organic moments. And I think he was like kind of famous for just one or two takes on most things. I think that's exactly right. Actually. In fact, I mean, that's how Lazarus happened. You know, like I was just, we just kind of started the tune, the initial recordings of it. You know, we, we only did like three or four takes of it, but I put this thing on the end of it. We were fading out like the key of a, so like I started doing this kind of chordal stuff influenced by my favorite band ever, which is Fink. And so like, I started playing this high stuff and he's like, yeah, let's keep that. And then he suggested, why don't you put that at the beginning of it? 
So like, you know, the intro and the outro, which mm-hmm. is people think it's a guitar, but it's actually bass. And that's kind of something I came up with. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So anytime he heard cool stuff, he was, he was for it. And, you know, anytime there was like slip ups and weird, any, any like weird accidental stuff. And, and just, he was just into it all. And in fact, he kept a lot of it. So it was interesting. Like sometimes they, you do that stuff and they go, and they go, yeah, I don't really want to have this, but he kept it. So that's pretty great. wild. Yeah. Especially like the black star track. Cause like there was kind of no blueprint for that. He, he had done demos for everything. You yeah. know, like, so some bass parts were specific and some drum, you know, like everything had several tunes had very specific stuff, but Blackstar was just kind of like this, this map and, and we just kind of went in. And so like, I kind of just did all this kind of weird stuff on it. And, and I came into the second take after the second take, expecting them to say, Hey, why don't you go out there and recut that? <laughs> but they kept it all and it's basically unedited. So it was like, it was like pretty wild. You know, that, that black star is such that title track is such an insane song. He released, if I remember correctly, I think it was released as the first single. It was, and it was with the, with that crazy video. That, that video is, is, uh, insane. That and the, the, the Lazarus video were both crazy, but, um, yeah. he's coming off of, uh, his previous album the next day that's all like back to basics rock it was like every song sounded like an arena rock single and it was um it was first off he he dropped the album without telling anybody there was an album coming out so it was like just all of a sudden one day there was like oh there's a new david bowie album out and it was his first music in in at least a decade i think and um I actually really like that record by the way it's a great record i later yeah. later era bowie is so underappreciated and it is so good and it, it, it the, the guy was experimenting right up to i mean black star is probably his most experimental album since low you know like almost 45 years earlier or something but I remember um, I, I loved the next day so much. And then when they announced a new Bowie album and, and I listened to that single black star and I listened to it beginning to end. And then I was like, what the fuck was that? I was like, I think I, hate, I think I hate that. You know, it was, it's, there was like, Gregorian yeah, chants. yeah I, I listened to it. But then I'm, as I'm, I'm like, well, this doesn't sound anything like, meanwhile, I've been listening to Bowie my whole life. And I know that no album sounds like the album before it, you know, and I listened to it. And then I was like, I think I hated that. And then I played it back just to make sure I hated it. And then I was like, I still think I hate that. And then I was like, maybe if I smoke weed, and then I like I got high and listened to it. And then I found that I listened to it four or five times in a row. It's a 10 minute song too. Like I took up some time just, and then by the end I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. I've never heard anything like this. It was, um, it was, it, it almost, it's like, it almost has a hip hop feel like it almost feels like something that like Kanye could have come up with if he had a jazz band behind him. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought it was really neat. And, and you know, it, again, he left it up to us to, to kind of do whatever he wanted to do on it. So that's kind of like how, yeah, it just, it has this, like, it has a couple like, it also has an R and B thing in the middle. Right. You know? Um, yeah. The, the happy part of it, it's like, yes. to me, it sounds like an old, like, you know, Motown vibe almost, you know, or, or, you know, Serge Gainsbourg, something like that. I mean, you know, right. Which makes it very interesting. And, you know, it sort of seems to me, it's like part, 
A, part B, and part C. But C is very similar to A, just a different, just churning along differently. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, but it's, you know, it's a, and nobody knows what he intentionally, like, well, he wouldn't even tell us what the lyrics, you know, he's just like, kind of like you figured out for yourself. That was kind of his whole thing. What was, um, that had to have been, I, I think it was a, a shrewd move on his part where, um, he didn't assemble a band. Like he, he found an existing unit. So how, I got to imagine, hey, and, and you've, you've been in the studio, you've recorded with a lot of big names, and uh, but I got to imagine, like, still, this is, this is David Bowie. I got to imagine there's an element of pressure to that. Um, does, it, does having your band in there, it, it, I got to imagine that just made it so much more comfortable and easier? And Oh, yeah. Uh, world's easier. Like, because then you don't have to... You don't have to um... Uh, you don't have to figure out how to play with like somebody you just met. You know what I mean? Like, even though usually it goes fine, but like just the eliminating that whole thing of like, okay, I hope this guy doesn't think I suck. And you know, all the stuff that the normal insecurity stuff like is eliminated because you're already playing with people you know and love. Yeah. You know what I mean, and uh, are you, are you bummed that you never got to play it live? Have you, have you played those songs live just with someone else? Yeah, we put we uh Lazarus gets played a bit. Like uh we just did the cutting room in New York City this weekend. Mm -hmm. And so Lazarus, wow. Lazarus is always it's sung by uh Michael C. Hall usually because yeah. they did it in that play, the Lazarus yep. play. So you know, uh so that that gets played. Um we haven't tried to play too much else. It's it's too, you know, honestly, it's like it's you really need David. Yeah. Or or somebody who's like unbelievably compelling. Like 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 uh I know that um Trent Reznor did a remix of I Can't Give Everything Away, which yes. is just stunning. So I, you know, he could do it. And I, yeah. I know people have attempted this stuff, but it's like to me, it's like too personal and too uh it's still kind of painful, actually. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's 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 a it was a weird period for me personally because my wife's dad had died at the same day that Black Star record that the record came out. So it's just like elation and, and total right. sorrow. It was like really weird. So yeah. You know, it, it it hits a spot in me that's just bizarre. So, like to have to, I mean, Lazarus is is fine because you know, it still brings me to a, a a certain place. But the rest of it might be like you know, plus you know, like who wants to reimagine? I mean, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like that should be covered that much. That record. Yeah. No, no, it's it's. I heard um, you know, when when he died, and then all the tributes came out. Sting did a version of Black Star. And right. I remember thinking like, oh, well, like Sting's got an amazing voice and Sting is, you know, Sting is up there as one of the all time greats. And then I listened to Sting's version of Black Star and all it did was reinforce to me how Bowie had the best voice ever. Yeah, it was like Sting's version didn't hold a candle and Sting's one of the best that ever did it. I know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that that record. It seems like it's like there's just nobody else who can do it besides Bowie, right? Yeah, it's just like right, that that record especially. I mean, you know, because we, you know, the, the gig we did this weekend, those those three nights we did. I mean, those other songs are, can be handled by other people, sort of, just because they're so they're iconic hits. But this one's just like it's too personal. I, yeah. I think. Yeah, I heard. Although, um, you mentioned uh, Trent Reznor doing "I Can't Give Everything Away." I just heard Spoon did a cover of it. That is really good. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Check that out. 
Maybe, maybe there's something about, yeah, I, I couldn't see. After I heard Sting cover Black Star, I was like, I don't think anybody ever needs to cover that song. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody Instagram on Instagram do a very bad cover of, of it, too. It's, it, it's just like, you know, he set up a looping machine and it was, it was brutal. You know, like, it's, it's like, why, why are you trying? I, I don't know. Those are those are difficult ones. <laughs> That's got to be the entertaining part of being a musician. And then now with uh, formats like TikTok and everything, you see all these people who shouldn't be posting performances, actually posting performances. Amen, brother. (laughs) Terrible covers. Like we see it sometimes as comics where, you know, we'll see someone post a video and a lot of times it'll be someone that you've crossed paths with at some point. And you're just like, why are you posting this video? You're getting no laughs. Why are you doing this? You're even adding subtitles and none of them are like making sense. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you enjoy, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy watching the bad? I get a kick out of it. I'll I'll go down wormholes of. Just, I share it with friends. I know you'll you'll see a video's got like five thousand yeah. views, and you're like, oh no, that's that's forty nine hundred people. Like, hey, share it. Like, you wouldn't believe how terrible this is. Yeah. Do do, <laughs> do you is that like uh do you get a kick out of that? Well, you know, I have a couple of addictions. Like, you know how the algorithm works. As soon as you click on a certain thing, it you just get blasted by it. Yeah. But I I follow Boston Be a Man. And like, you know, he's, he's hit or miss, you know, to say the least, but I think, you know, most of the time it's hit for me, you know what I mean? Like only because like the way he cracks up and how his cameraman cracks up after they, after they do their little routine. Cause you know, I don't know. I, I just think that, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, people are willing to do it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, but you know, you don't see like a guy like Bill Burr screw it up. You know what I mean? You just see these no. kind of the guys are much lower levels. You know what I mean? Like, yes. yeah. Yeah, well, Bill Burr knows enough to scrub the internet of all of the, you know, terrible. I've I've got I've got some twelve year old sets out there that I wish I knew how to take down. Oh, I'll I'll show you how to do it because I've done that on my YouTube <laughs> for my first few years of comedy. I've made them unlisted. You can't even find it. Yeah, yeah, huh. that's what I need. Um. Was was there a part of you when you get the call for to to do Bowie's album? Is there a part of you that's like because you don't know he's sick at this point? So is there a part of you that's like, hey, maybe this is going to lead to to so like maybe maybe he's going to want to go on tour. Maybe maybe I'm going to be like the new Galen Dorsey because he 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 always switched up his band about every ten years. Uh, there was a good, I mean, you know, I, I, I think because he didn't like, you know, like I think the, the chemo and all this stuff aged him. And I think, I think he stopped touring in 2006 yeah. because I think he had a stroke or something, not a stroke, but some kind of heart he like thing. a hard thing. So I think yeah. he was, I, I heard he was done touring and I know he was done with interviews. He passed in January. So the next right. month we had, we had a, a week at the village Vanguard and, uh, and he, the plan was for him to sit in. So he would have made it, it, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, that would have been just that one night, right? Like that's you you hang your hat on that. But I mean, you you played you played on his only number one album. Like think of which is insane. All of those all of those great bands that he had, all those great musicians that he had, and and you guys you guys were the only band that uh, took him to number one. Was that like a, you mean in the United States? Yeah. Yeah, and I also, you know, I think it was the first time he won a Grammy too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe that. 
Yeah. Yeah, that that album sure. won a few Grammys, right? But Five, it wasn't up. It was it wasn't up for album of the year, which I which it's. I mean, the Grammys are notorious for not understanding anything and being completely out of touch. But how do you? How was that not up for album of the year? You know, it's it's like, but the industry's run by hip hop and like younger people, and they don't know Bowie. You know, so it's just like. I don't necessarily fault them. I mean, you know, we're up, I, my wife and I are up for one for her record this year. I mean, I produced it and it's her, you know, so, you know, I'm hoping we win, but if we don't, we don't, it's whatever, oh, you know what I mean? What so, is, what is, what does your wife do? Uh, her, her name, she's a keyboardist and vocalist, um, really talented musician. Her name is Rachel Eckroth and the, the record's called the garden and we're up for, uh, best, uh, contemporary instrumental album. It's the same categories like snarky puppy and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, so hopefully, you know, she's the only female in the category. So I hope that has worked for her, you know? Yeah. So, but it's, it's a very different record. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's, you know, tying it back into Bowie. It's just like, you know, like Bowie does a record like black star. It's like, why should I be conservative and not take chances? And, and, you know, like that's been sort of my motto since we did that yeah. record It's just like, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to be adventurous. Cause it's like, you have nothing to lose. You're not selling, you're not, you know, you're not going to lose millions of record sales. You know, it's just whatever. Just and go for it. And it's more fulfilling that way. It always is. It always yeah. has been. It's just, you know, but they, they try to steer the ship towards like, well, we need a hit and whatever. And it's just like, it's, you know, most people just want to express themselves, right? You know, like who are you really competing against? <clears throat> yeah. 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 Well, I think that's, I think that's when Bowie became most interesting is when he stopped chasing hits. It was like right after that glass yeah. spider tour. And then he, uh, he famously was like, I'm never playing the old songs again and started, right. started Tin Machine and was like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to be in a band for the rest of my life. But, but then <laughs> yeah. they, I, then you know, they sold funny, like, four albums. Up, after all this, all this was, all this was um, after, this was like a year or two after that, but um, after Blackstar, but, uh, but he had, he had mentioned to this guy, this engineer, Mario McNulty, who ended up being the producer of it, but we redid Never Let Me Down which didn't have any hits on it. It was like, but he was, he was, like you said, he was cheap. cheap hats, you know I mean, for a couple of records after that. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't like that record. So he, he had Mario McNulty. He told Mario McNulty while they were doing next day, because Mario engineered next day, he uh, asked him to redo, never let me down. So like when the chance came up to do it, the label approved it and all this stuff. Uh, and Gail and Dorsey couldn't do it. So I ended up on it. So it was like me and Reeves Cabrels and, Oh, Campbell. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. I mean, in a way, it was just as flattering as doing Blackstar, to be honest, because I was recording with Poe alumni. So yeah. it was super cool. Yeah, Reeves, yeah. it's I'm it's funny. I'm 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 in I'm in touch with Reeves's wife trying to uh trying to get him on the show. Um Reeves He's the best hang. I love that guy. Yeah. Or well maybe maybe is there maybe I'll drop your name and let her know that <laughs> but um uh I saw your name on Wikipedia and then I saw you credited for never let me down. And I was like, I'm so I'm glad you explained that. Cause I was like, didn't that album come out in like 87, but I'll say this, that album is very maligned and Bowie himself completely distanced himself from it. He famously never played those songs live again after that tour and I think it's a much better album. I think there's a good five really compelling songs on there. And uh, I never understood. I never understood why it got all the hate that it did. Agree. 
Like, if you look at the album he did before, like, Tonight, which was basically, like, a Calypso album, like, that album was... That's where it all fell apart. Like that, he you know he he rushed back to chase hits after Let's Dance, and you know half the album is like Calypso versions of Iggy Pop songs, and that's that that album's the one where I'm like, yeah, I I love Bowie, but I I can't get into this. I thought never. I think, let- he, I think he was pretty high during those records. Yeah, you know, <laughs> post Let's Dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that I—I yeah, I mean, it had to have been to 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 make a Calypso record. <laughs> um, so tell me about because I, I I might be wrong about this, uh, but I saw I've I saw that you played with the Black Rose, and um, were, did I see you on Howard like right before COVID? That was you with with the Robinson Brothers, right? When they came in to announce that they were doing Shake Your Money Maker. Yep. So were you supposed to be were you supposed to be the bass player on that tour? Yeah. If, if COVID doesn't happen, I would still probably be in the Black Rose. Uh. But it, so but yeah, it happened. And then just like then we kind of went our separate ways afterwards. So. You know, I, I love the, I love Chris and Rich. They're awesome. You yeah. know I mean? It's like, there's nothing against them. It was just, just wasn't time. The time wasn't right. And because they went back out in 2021, yes. I just, you know, whatever. I just had other stuff going on. So I just, I just couldn't do it. But if it was, if 2020 went regular one, normally uh, I'd still be in the band. So. Yeah. It's that's too bad. They, uh, I, I saw them on this tour and it's, it's the first, it's the first time I've seen them in 20 years where, they left me wanting more. It was the first time I saw them where I wasn't looking at my watch, you know, to see. Well, like I, how- I think, you know, like, like it's the best band they've had in a long time. Yeah. Like the, dr- the drummer's a friend of mine, you know, like they, they, they went, well, Sven, Sven Pippian, mm-hmm. you know, like, like luckily like there wasn't a big charade afterwards. So like Sven had been in the band for He'd years. So in, he yeah. just jumped back in. So that saved them a lot of tr- time trying to find a new bass player. So like that, and he also knew all the songs. So like, it was just a no brainer. So, and Isaiah Mitchell's an incredible guitar player. He's from Earthless. I don't know if you know that. And then um, Joe Robinow, really good, great band. So, yeah, yeah, they they were tight, and it was it was nice to uh, it was nice not to hear like a seven minute drum solo, you know. <laughs> like they got. I think, I think they were just the, the aim was just to play the songs, right? There was no real jams going on. There was no jams. Yeah, they came out. They played that album, uh, "Shake Your Money Maker," start to finish, and then like another seven, eight songs, a one song encore and it was over. And it was, I mean, it was a great rock and it was the first time where I was like, Oh, I wish they'd played more instead of why are they going on so long? Yeah. I find, I'm, I'm similar with that. It's just like, is this thing over yet? Like, I did, like <laughs> overkill, you know? Yeah. I think that's why I like, why I always gravitated towards like punk and rock because it, I just, I don't have the attention span. And yep. then if you're jamming and it's uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're doing a 15 minute version of a song. I'm thinking like, oh, you could have just played four or five songs that I love in the time it took you to finish one. Um, did you have uh, do you have a favorite Crows album? I like Amorica. Yeah. 
I mean, that's kind of, it sounds the best. It's like, it's, it sounds pretty Zeppelin influenced. Mm-hmm. The, the, the guitar riffs on that record are incredible to me. You know yeah. I mean? Like I, I still go back and practice to, you know, like, um, a conspiracy and, you know, like those, those songs are amazing to me. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a great album. I was like Southern harmony to me is, uh, like that's almost a perfect rock record, but then, um, you can see that was like the obvious continuation of Shake Your Money Maker, but then Amorica, they definitely were like, "All right, let's try some new shit." It's too bad. It, I mean, I guess it wasn't really a it was a semi flop, right? But it's, yeah. to me, it's their best record. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think that was great. They had a they had such an impressive four or five album run there to to start their career. Um. Yeah, but it's 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 too bad. Actually, I kind of like that they never became as big as I thought they would, you know, because it was like I got to go see them in theaters and clubs instead of having to, like, go to a stadium and sit in nosebleeds. Every time I saw them, anywhere I saw them was a great seat. There you go. Um, Go ahead, Max. Now, Tim, it, obviously this is an audio podcast. We can only see the video, but it looks like you're outside right now and it looks kind yes. of warm as opposed to here where it's like 40 degrees. Where are you located? Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Oh, right oh. on. They have, a, they have a pretty good music scene there, right? Yeah, uh, I guess so. I mean, not, not for what I do specifically, but there's, there's a lot of good, like, there's a lot of good bands from here, like Calexico and, you know, uh, Orchestra Mendoza, like there's like that kind of like the the southern you know Arizona ish south southwestern kind of stuff. It's great scene for that, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I know one of my uh, one of my favorite bands is Doctor Dog, and I know the uh, the lead singer lives out in Tucson, Arizona. And I heard him say it's like a cool art scene out there. It definitely is. It's still it's one of the you know that's why we're here actually you know because we were in L.A. and it's it, you know it's a lot less expensive than L.A. And that's why the art scene thrives because it's still affordable here. You know what I mean? Like yeah, any city absolutely. that's affordable is where everything's wrote. It's, everything's moving to these affordable cities. So absolutely, and it's going to be interesting to see what comes out like after COVID with New York and everything. And I think prices and everything are going down in New York. I think it's going to draw in more art, and it's going to there's going to be kind of like a revival of so many genres of art in New York City over the next probably five ten years. I heard stuff's going back up again, though, in New York. Like, it didn't oh, okay. Take then I take everything I just said back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm well, hoping that's the case because, you know, every time I've been back, which has been a few times now this fall, it's like, I love it. I forgot. I was there for 18 years. So, you know, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit uh, about the band that you're in now. So I'm, I'm, I realized uh, listening to them, I don't know how to pronounce it because is it Sedato? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's just one of the many projects I have going on. Yeah. That's, that's like an electronic project I have with the other black star keyboard player, uh, Jason Lindner. Um, Did I pronounce it right? Because there's, yeah. there's a yep. line through the O and I realized as I was listening to it, I was like, I don't know what that line means or how to pronounce it. It's just, it's just to delineate. Apparently there's somebody else with the Sedato name. Yes. Like, I saw it. Means, that. Yeah, yeah. It means sedated basically. And it's yeah. Italian or Spanish. And it's, it was just a joke title that we came up with, but it's, it sort of fits like with electronic music. It's just, you know, 
but um it's it's uh it's basically an electronic project i have with with that keyboard player i mean i played some bass on it and stuff and i mean i mean I, i'm very interested in that genre anyway so that's kind of and we did it we did that all actually it just came out but we did it in 2019 you know oh, like really? so many other things you had um I'm, I'm looking for the title but uh oh over overconfident yep i was listening to that last night and um i couldn't i couldn't get it like stayed in a loop in my head all night um, it's pretty fun. It's like it's like uh, it's like punk drum and bass meets Blade Runner. You know? Yeah, I mean? yeah. I didn't. It was. It wasn't. I, I haven't heard too much like it. And then um, I, I I enjoyed it a lot, though. I mean, you know, the the problem with electronic music is, you know, like they they love to have everything compartmentalized. Like so, like it doesn't. Of course, it's it's like its own thing. So like now we're struggling with like it doesn't fit into any specific electronic category, electronic music category. So it's just like, ah, so irritating <laughs> so, because people don't know what to do with it. It's just like, ah, oh, Jesus, you know, I, we've gotten, I feel like it, things have gotten better with, uh, with that though. Right. Like there, you know, like back in the, back in the eighties, uh, you had to be like, people had to know exactly what your music was. And if it didn't fit like one of four labels, they didn't know what to do with it. And nobody ever heard it. So there, there are, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. There are so many more avenues now, but then you get like, you know, those terrible Instagram singers. So many and players. (laughs) 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 Um, So how, how old were you when you picked up the bass? 13. Yeah. What, what made you pick up the bass? Uh, well, my dad was a middle school music teacher mm-hmm. and, um, I think one Christmas, my sister got a guitar, like an acoustic guitar for Christmas. And, and uh, I started playing along to records like ACDC and like whatever. And, uh, and my dad noticed I wasn't playing chords. I was just picking up the guitar and playing single notes. So he just like points at me, so you're a bass player. And then that was it. And, and then he would make me learn all his, you know, he, he was a GB musician around Boston. I'd end up doing gigs with him and his friends and doing like all these old standards. And just, you know, like I'm like in ninth grade, I have no interest. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was good that I got that skill. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, that's great experience at that age. Yeah. Yep. What, what music you mentioned, ACDC, do you remember what other records you would play along with? <sighs> Uh, let's see, ACDC. I I got the Eagles, the Long Run. Mm-hmm. So I was playing along with that a little. Bit. I used to like in the city a lot. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, yeah, that's the theme to the Warriors. Yes, if I'm not not wrong. Uh, what else? What else was I playing along to? Um, Rush. I I got dr- into Rush and Van Halen very hard. So yeah. like you know, I was playing along to that stuff all the time. So, and when did you start your first band, or when did you join your first band? <sighs> I just, I had some bands in high school. I mean, I was doing the high school stuff, yeah. like playing in formal, you know, classes and stuff like that. But I had some rock bands on the side that were pretty fun. Like was like when I was a freshman in high school, like, you know, I was playing with like seniors in high school. So it was, it was pretty fun. You know, oh, guys who knew what they were doing. Yeah, it was cool. We played like dances and stuff. I was so nervous all the time. It was, we used to play Hold On Loosely by 38 Special. Uh-huh. So like that. <laughs> so that was my jam. <laughs> I remember MTV used to play that video a lot. Yep. 
like back in the days when they would just play any video. I mean, not that they weren't an established band, but it was like back in the days when they you would see five videos back to back that made no sense. Right. But you know, you know, it's funny. I saw this thing on Twitter the other day. I forgot the guy's name, but he put up like, what's the greatest music video ever. And I forgot about all these like, like the Peter Gabriel uh, sledgehammer video. Sledgehammer. Uh, uh, wrapped around your finger by the police when yes. synchronicity came out. Like these incredible video. Like they, they were very far ahead of their They time. had, I mean, wrapped around your finger was, uh, oh no, wait, I'm thinking of, um, what's the one where he's dancing around with all the candles? King, was that King of Pain or wrapped around your finger? No, that's wrapped around your finger. Isn't it amazing? Like the budget, slow motion. Yeah, the budget for that video must have been $8. Like they just bought a bunch of candles and had <laughs> Sting twirl around inside them. Uh, and, but that imagery stays in your head forever. Like I can't hear that song come on the radio with, without that in, without that image getting conjured up. Right. Um, you've played, I saw you've played with Sting. Yep. So yep. did you, uh, tour or record? Uh, no, mostly I, when I used to play with Chris Bodie, who was like the sort of, you know, like it's kind of a performance jazz kind of artist. He's, he's, it's, I don't want to say smooth jazz. It's not exactly like that. It's kind of like, but it's like, it's like kind of bloom era miles Davis meets fusion or whatever. But anyway, um, uh, I'm getting attacked by a bug here. By a bee. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Chris Bodie would like, they, they, they get booked by these Russian oligarchs. And so we go to like fly to Sardinia or whatever. And, and sting would do the set with us. Like we do all sting covers and, and sting would sing with us. So it was pretty fun. It happened like three times. And then he sat in with us a few times at the Blue Note and when the when I did do the Blue Note. And uh yeah, he was a you know, like I, I actually I really obviously a fan and huge Sting fan. Like you know, that 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 stuff changed how I played. But um but yeah, like he's also a cool guy. Like I saw him not too long ago, like three or four years ago in Nashville, and he you know, he remembered me and came up and gave me a hug and it was just wild. I was just blown away by that, you know. Yeah, that's so, great. That's got to be yeah. especially like being of our generation and growing up on those videos. I mean, you did you just when you're on stage with him in some foreign country is do you do you take a moment to like let that sink in? Like I I I never like in a million years growing up watching those videos, you're not like, well, I'll probably I'll probably be backing him up one day. I mean, I always wanted to like, that, yeah. like, you know, I'm kind of a guy who doesn't have many goals, but like, that was one of them. Yeah. You know? Cause like, especially like when he had to bring on the night band, like, you know, Kenny Kirkland and, mm -hmm. and Daryl Jones and Omar Hakeem like that, that era just, you know, that was like super influential on my playing. But so like, I was always, that was always the number one thing. I, I mean, I would love to do a tour with him, obviously. And I play with, bunch of people who have been on tour with him yeah but just never never on tour with him but i've done a couple gigs with him yeah so if that's if that's the extent of it i'm still happy about it yeah i'm good now is it is it super intimidating being a bass player like being sting's bass player when he's a bass player i i mean sort of and kind, kind of not at the same time like you know it's like he's older now so he wants it a little more smoother mm -hmm. a little more smooth like like when when uh the first time I did a gig with him was like in Paris or something again for the Russian oligarchs. Um, I kind of came at it like, you know, like how he used to play. Like, so like, you know, when we were playing, uh, um, uh, I'll be watching you. What's it called? Uh, Every breath you take. So like, I, he used to play that stuff with a pick and kind of punky and aggressively. So I was doing that. Um, 
you know, it's like I was trying to approach it like how he, how the, the versions of that I was familiar with. And, and the second gig, he kind of caught on to that and he, he didn't want it that way. So he told me how to play, you know, like he wanted, he wanted me to play bass how he would play it while he's singing. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Normally he's, he's singing and playing at the same right. time. So like I had to kind of tone it down a little bit. Um, by the way, like Russian oligarch, that sounds like an amazing job. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you get that, but um, they just sit around and they're like, bring me Sting. And then Sting shows up. Man, and they, and they pay him stupid money, which is just pocket for them. You know, it's like, it's unbelievable. Like they flew us all over to Europe in business class and stuff. And so it's pocket change. They don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's amazing. I mean, these are the guys that, you know, these are Putin's boys too. It's just like, whew, man. <laughs> Yeah, you go, there's like a lot of security guys with the earpieces in and stuff. It's like, okay, we're not fucking around here. <laughs> That's what I I feel like. I feel like we mix we miss the boat, Max. This this comedy thing. Would we, we should have we should have been oligarch oligarchs. Well, I don't even know what that is. I think uh, I think a lot of comics. I, I mean, I speaking for myself, want to be musicians or like rock oh, stars. Yeah. Like that's like the dream. <laughs> You know, and I can't imagine the pressure of performing in front of Putin's people, you know, like people who are hooked up in that, like the pressure would be so on, like, I, I don't know if I'd be able to handle it. Well, to your, to your, your statement is like every musician wants to be a comedian yes. too. So there's yeah. that, but, um, but that's the kind of thing, like, like, it's really not on you. I mean, hopefully it's not on you. Like, like if if the gig's not going well, it's really going to come down to you know, Chris Bodie was the point person. So it's going to come down to him or the tour manager. <laughs> like they're not going to, I mean, unless I went and punched somebody in the face, like they're yeah. not going to, probably be not the, going to come after me. He'll be the one getting the lethal dose of radiation. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or the poison, poison, uh, the poison injection. In his yeah. Hotel poison tipped umbrella. Just shot yep. in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> some Robert, but I, I do Robert know like I've, I've heard comics tell stories about like saudi arabian princes like coming into new york city and then performing in front of them and it's just like it sounds like such a blast i would love that gig yep yep i used to when i was on a cruise ship back in the 90 early 90s i you know like daryl hammond would come out like the guy from snl mm -hmm. and um by the way he's i think he's in the hospital he had a stroke or something like that so oh, i hope he hope he gets well yeah he's a great dude so we would hang all the time on the ship and drink and, you know, like back when I drank and, and just part of your brains out. And, you know, it's just like, so we'd, like, you know, they, and he knew everybody kind of knew who my uncle was like, cause they all at some point had swung through Boston. So like, you know, we'd be trying to, I'd be doing my Boston accent stuff. And, you know, like I, a couple of guys stole a couple of jokes from me from, from the angle of my uncle, which is pretty funny, but you know, it was just, we, we would always hang really hard with the comedians. Yeah. And, so, and you know, your uncle is Steve Sweeney, one of like the founders of Boston comedy, right? Pretty much. I mean, he's one of them. You know, like last before COVID, he's coming out to LA. He just put he put a movie out called Sweeney Killing Sweeney, which is basically all the characters from his comedy routines, like trying to come back and kill him, including like my grandma. Like a lot of his oh, routines, so like funny. grandmother <laughs> rose in peace, but you know his imitation of my grandmother was pretty spot on and hilarious. So. A lot of that movie is that, but he came out to California and it was, and you know, because he did the movie to promote it, he was on the Rogan podcast and Bill Burr's podcast. And, you know, those, 
those guys are like, for, they, first of all, it's, I can't believe you're here. Like, cause they, they used to open up for my uncle and they worshiped him. So it's, yeah. and, and if anything, it's the opposite now, right? It's like, you know, yeah. those guys are the big stars. So it's, it was pretty wild. Yeah, and it speaks volumes to the impact he had on them to where he's going on these shows. And these guys who are the biggest names in comedy are saying, thank you so much for coming here. Like they're honored to have him in studio yeah. that's incredible yeah but my uncle's joke he, he's told me this a few times since then it's like, you, you want to be a big star just open up for me <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be i mean i know he's joking but it's 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 tough it's gotta be tough to see you know you're open. I mean, you see it in music and comedy where where you just you just get passed by and it's uh you know, one one minute you're the headliner and the next minute you're opening for your opener. I mean, you hear about that in music all the time, like especially like, you know, a, a band will be the opener and then their song goes to number one. And by the end of the tour, they're they're closing the show and whoever was the headliner is now the opener. Yep. And it's uh it's fun. It's fun to watch when you feel like that person really deserves it. And then when you feel like they don't, it's just, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it has happened. You know, I was in Tedeschi trucks. I'm, I'm pretty, mm. you know, like Marcus King is ascending the scene pretty fast and he was yes. opening up for us. And I'm sure he probably can fill up Beacon theater now. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's got to be tough. Like if you're the band who Chumba Wumba was opening for, and then by the end of the summer of 96, they're closing out the show. It's like, Jesus Christ, what did I get into? <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I mean, listen, you know, I'm like the old man. I'm trying to stay young ish. And to some degree, I do. But, you know, I see, you know, like, you know, these, all these like 25 year old kids are getting, you know, 80,000 Instagram followers and shit and i'm just like you know i'm like the on the scrap heap i mean i have a few instagram followers but not like as many as these kids now you know it's just like and it's these guys are way flashier they they sit in front of the like we said like these these performances they do on instagram it's like you know that's how you get followers yeah you know yeah and that's why there's so much terrible content out there is because there is that pressure to constantly put out content and it's kind of hard to not get sucked into that but a lot of times people are and they're putting up awful content i mean and I, right and, and people say like this is the tiktok era like people are making a living off of tiktok i mean that's all fine i, I don't begrudge that at all but like don't try to tell me that it's art or, or better than what's gone on before <laughs> right. it's just it's just a new paradigm yeah you know, right. like people yeah the the bulk of videos on tiktok are people like reciting movie scenes with the actual like movies like track behind it and they're just mouthing to whatever and I don't know yeah. what it accomplishes because it's like, oh, great. You are good at lip syncing. That's yeah. it. Yeah. But then it's they get a hundred thousand followers and then me and you end up opening for them when, when they come to comedy clubs. L listen, I'll take that gig any day of the week. I will, <laughs> right? I will work. I'll do it anywhere. I don't care. Yep. Did you, did you spend a lot of time in comedy clubs uh, watching your uncle? I saw, I saw him a few times. I mean, I, I've gone to see a bunch of like, you know, when I was in LA, I would go see Rogan at the, I saw Bill Burr at the, at the, um, um, what is it? Uh, Orpheum theater. Yeah. So, you know, it just, uh, you know, whenever I can go, I go. Um, but like the big cities is really where it's at in terms of comedy and Boston, obviously. But, but, um, 
but you know, like it's hard to make time for it. And, and, and I'm not in LA anymore. Like if I was in LA, I'd, I'd be going out to see comedy as much as I could. Um, but in the meantime, like there's so much of it on cable now, like on Netflix and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, all the, that Dave, the latest Dave Chappelle thing is amazing. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't finished it. It's pretty, I mean, I don't, I like, like, first of all, I turned into an amazing storyteller. Right. And, yes. and then he's still one of the funniest guys ever, you know, like it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, this is the one that had the big kerfuffle about LGBTQ. Yeah. Community. Yeah, in, in my opinion, I think he's the greatest to ever do it because he has a larger body of work than Richard Pryor. And like both, you know, Pryor and Carlin were both, you know, so impactful to comedy and very important. But I think Chappelle, just his body of work and what he's done has been more consistent and he's hit on every comedy special where it's like, I, I think he's the greatest of all time. With Carlin, he's got a huge body of work, but there were a lot of duds in between. And Chappelle doesn't have those. So to me, I think he's the greatest. Well, it's almost like watching, uh, I would imagine for you, Tim, when you watch somebody like Chappelle, like that's pretty close to watching jazz, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like when the guys like like they start cracking up with their. I mean, even though like these like pretty much. I mean, you guys go up there with a, a plan anyway, right? Yeah, right. So like, but so like, even a guy when he starts chuckling to himself about what he's about to say, yeah, I love that's my favorite thing because he knows it's going to fuck with the audience like so hard. It's it's pretty great. Um, so that yeah, that makes it think. Well, what's coming up next? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, it's like what I you know I was really like. I went down the, the Bill Burr rabbit hole for a little while and you could hear on his podcast, he was like coming up with material for his shows. Yes. You know, so like his or working it out in the podcast and then it would be in his shows. So just letting my cat out. <laughs> <laughs> now you, you, uh, you worked on the score for the departed, right? Yep. Did you work closely with Robbie Robertson at all? Uh, was he on some, I, no, I think some of it was a lot of it was G Smith oh, as far okay. as I knew. Yeah. And it was like Howard, just, I worked with Howard Shore. Like it, it was the, the stuff that sounds pretty anonymous. It's the stuff I was on. Oh, right um, on. Yeah. Cause a lot of it was just like score stuff. And, and, um, but I mean, I worked on the ocean swell soundtrack, you know, like some of the, some of the pretty interesting soundtracks have been pretty fun. Um, that's great. Yeah. I mean like that, you know, that just became like a calling card because once you start doing the ocean stuff, like then I, I played on oceans eight, I played on uh, Birds of Prey when, he, you know, he had a bunch of stuff that was sort of like that. So the composer. So, you know, happens once in a while. It's fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do, do you have um, do you have do you have a piece of work that you're most proud of? Um, I mean, yeah, obviously Black Star. Yeah. Um, and even and the black star track is probably the best track I've ever played on a, on a record. Um, but I wrote a song recently with Van Hunt called, um, peach fuzz that he just put out and it was, I think it was only on KCRW out in LA, but that, that's kind of like, I'm really pretty proud of that. I, I didn't really, he, he's really the genius. I, I just kind of gave him some ideas and then he kind of ran with it, but that's, that's a great one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've written some songs with, uh, empire of the sun, Mm -hmm. that are pretty good um i'm trying to be a more of a songwriter these days but um in terms of playing i mean yeah i, I don't know it's, it's a tough one but it definitely black star stands yeah. out for sure you know do you have to, a to play that play that well on a record that was that huge is pretty great yeah i mean and, and critically just 
I mean, even even if even without Bowie's death adding to the you know to the the legend of the album, I, I think even without his, I was saying when that album came out, like by the end of that day, which was you know still I still had no idea he was sick or that he was about to die. I remember saying like, this is, this album's brilliant. Like it, it blew my mind that somebody that late in their career was making music that vital and that experimental, especially when he could have just, he could have just coast, you know, like he could have just coast for the rest of his life. If he felt like touring, just doing the the greatest hits, you know, like like the Who did. You know, like the Who, they they spent the eighties and nineties not putting out any new music and just he could have done that. He could have he could have been the the seventy year old dude with the orange hair still trying to look younger than he yeah. was. But he just he just was like I'm. He, I guess that boredom. Yeah, I, th- I don't think it was part of his DNA. It's, it's wild to think. You know, just always, always being creative, no matter what. Like he, he's almost like a bohemian, really. Yeah. Just a very well-known, like, you know, I think, you know, like when he had his heart attack in 2006, I think he sort of did some switch, like did some cha- life changes, like no more interviews, no more. He didn't want to be famous already. So, you know, uh, so just, just to go along with that, it's just like, you know, okay, let me just create and create and create and create. And, you know, there was another, there was a plan to do another record too, if you if he had survived. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I heard that he had, uh, yeah. there, there was, um, well, I guess. So did you, were you play like, did you play on like, uh, that plan B or, or no? Yep. Do I have that right? Yeah. The no plan record. Yeah. The no plan. Yep. <laughs> no plan yep. B is the abortion thing. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> is that plan B? Yeah. Anyway. Plan B is the abortion one. Well, no, uh, no plan. There was uh, an EP. I th- those they all sounded like songs that were left off of uh, Black Star. Yeah, I don't think they they didn't fit thematically. Apparently, I don't know. Um, there was a couple. There was a couple other ones that sounded like you know something that could have been on Ziggy Stardust. Too, mm-hmm. You know, like he was just kind of. We just we did a lot of we tracked a lot of tunes, but only the seven made it. So yeah, yeah, and there there's some real interesting stuff on there. Uh, no plan, and when I met you was it was like crazy that i remember hearing that like that he couldn't find a home for that that looks like you said that album was seven songs long all right man i, I happen to really like when i met you yeah. i thought that was a you know like that was that to me was like i actually sounded like a legit rock player on that track you know like it's just kind of like and it still sounded like a demo it wasn't really mixed very well or, you know like or it wasn't it wasn't really finished, but uh, but I still liked it. it had a, a really cool vibe to it. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember the the first time I heard that. I, I remember thinking like that to me sounds as that sounds like it's as good a song as anything else on that album. But it's it's like it's it's comes down to you know what he what he feels like fits. Yep. So all right. We are, we're just about out of time, but Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Dude, this was great. Thank you. Hope for you had you fun. I would Amazing. love to, I know we just scratched the surface. I, I was, I was looking through, I was looking through your website and I know we've just scratched the surface of, of everything you've done. I'd love to have you back on sometime if you wanted. Anytime, anytime. It's great. Um, oh yeah. Make sure, uh, uh, oh yeah. Okay. We still recording. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Where can people find you? Uh, 
Uh, okay. Uh, my website is uh, music.com uh, T I M L E F E V. Uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook and all that stuff, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, definitely send me this stuff and I'll post for you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have this, uh, I'll have this up for Monday. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Send me a link. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, um, do you have anything, anything coming out that you want people to hear? Do you, or do you have any live? Sh- I know COVID's sort of fucked everything, but do you have anything live coming up? I mean, possibly, yeah, we're waiting to hear back from the venues regarding a tour in February with Wayne Krantz. That's that's the band that Weintraub would uh, yeah. would always come out and see. You Wayne Krantz trio with me and Keith Carlock. Uh, we're supposed to play in New York February eighteenth, nineteenth, and there's supposed to be a, a tour of like Northeast and then going out to Denver. That's supposed to be February and you know that's like February eighteenth until about March first. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I guess we'll see. And then uh, other than that, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know just kind of plowing through trying to figure stuff out it's everything is so in flux that i don't know what's yeah. going on and if and if anyone listening uh is on the grammy board of voting vote for the record you and your wife put out correct yeah it's called the garden rachel Eckroft. the garden yeah yes yeah well i you you'll be so happy to know tim the bulk of our audience is grammy voters so, oh, actually, that's uh, well actually the, the, the voting closed january 5th so oh well then 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 you're fucked then, <laughs> then we can't help you max what uh where can people find you what do you have coming up yeah, you can find me at Max Antonucci on Instagram. I don't use Twitter really. Uh, catch me at New York Comedy Club. And uh, you can see me in Barcelona next month because I'll be uh, living in Spain for two months. Oh, lucky you. Can you I'm imagine excited. if someone just come, like knocks on your door and they're like, oh, you told me to stop by? <laughs> <laughs> told me i could find you in spain (laughs) i would uh if it's a pretty lady i'm okay with it (laughs) all right everybody thank you for listening to i love rock and roll tim thanks again so much for coming on thanks ken thank thanks max great to meet you tim great to meet you guys and uh we'll see you guys next week